Hello, welcome to another episode of the Ask the Herbalist podcast. I'm your host, Rochelle Robinette, the founder of Pharmacon Supernatural and Herbals and Registered Herbalist. Nice to be with you again today. And as always, uh, there are no matters of housekeeping today, just the show as usual. I hope everyone is having a lovely summer. I am having the most exciting summer of my life, possibly, (laughs) which is great. And doing a lot of surfing. Oh, I can tell you a little bit about surfing because there's a lesson there. There are lots of lessons, but there's a, there's a, there's a there there. So surfing is something I'm trying to learn how to do. Uh, I am inspired by my partner who has really committed to it and went all through the winter, the New York winter surfing in New York. Um, I don't aspire to do that. That's intense. I hate the cold. Uh, so there's that, but, um, so I'm inspired by, I'm inspired by his, his experience, his process. And also by the fact that, you know, my favorite places in the world, for example, you know, Costa Rica, basically beaches with jungles attached to them, um, you know, tend to be surf communities or surfable. And, you know, that's a lot of the lifestyle. So I'd like to be able to do it. And I also like to challenge myself and I like to learn and I love physical you know, physical challenges, physical, new physical experiences, you know, what can I train my body mind to do? What is it capable of doing? You know, all of these things. And so uh, I really, I really doubled down on surfing this summer and I found a coach through my friend, Jamie. Jamie has been cutting my hair for over 10 years now. And if any of you are in New York and you need a bang trim or a haircut or a blowout or anything, you should definitely go see her. She's incredible. Uh, and she also lives part-time down in Saulita in Mexico so that she can surf. She loves surfing. So she hooked me up with a coach here in New York and I am going with him as much as possible, which realistically is like once a week right now. I'm I'm about to get through a busy period and then hopefully I can go two or three times per week. Um, but it's a huge time commitment, right? I leave, you know, the house at a little bit after seven. I get to my lesson at nine. I surf for a little over an hour and then I commute back home for, you know, an hour or so. So it's a big, you know, big chunk of time. But the, you know, the, at the point of it, you know, one of the points of it is that it destroys my schedule and it destroys my hair and it's uncomfortable and it's sometimes scary and it's really hard. And you, you know, you, you come back, like your head is full of salt water. Um, my nervous system gets super worked up. I'm all like shaky. And, you know, even if I'm having a good time, like my body's on alert, right? Cause you, you know, you're trying not to drown. <laughs> There's lots of adrenaline, um, you know, and you have to get up early, early for me, you know, I typically don't set an alarm, so I have to get up early and, you know, go and all this stuff. And 
when I started doing it, I really, you know, I didn't want to, right? I was like, I don't, I don't want to get up early tomorrow morning. I don't want to spend, you know, five hours like running around, like commuting on a train and, you know, doing all this stuff. And it would be so much more comfortable and easy to just like sleep in a little and have coffee and like meditate and, you know, start my day. Um, but all of the discomfort, you know, is part of the point and it is pushing my, you know, I'm intentionally pushing myself outside of my comfort zone, um, which I try to do on a regular basis. And this relates to that book that I shared recently that I was reading that I, you know, I recently finished it. It's called the comfort crisis. And, um, I mean, it's kind of a huge, huge topic for me and I see it a lot. I mean, I'm not the only one by any means, you know, we see it a lot in modern society, uh, that these conveniences of comfort and our shrinking tolerance for being uncomfortable actually shrinks our world, right? It shrinks our health, our health span, our lifespan, and then the the amount of things that we're able to go out and enjoy because we're increasingly, you know, more anxious or afraid or self-conscious or whatever it is. And look, I'm all those things. Like I have all of those things. Um, but bless my father, you know, when we were kids, he, that he raised us, you know, in part by pushing us into things that we were afraid to do. And sometimes it was too heavy handed, I think. However, you know, I much prefer having now, you know, his sort of voice, his hand in me, pushing me into these things that are uncomfortable um, because they grow me, they expand me. And ultimately, I come back, you know, less afraid of a lot of other things, right? They sort of, they, like I, you know, mentioned the opposite of kind of shrinking our world, they expand our world. Um, so when I started doing the surfing thing, it was all resistance, you know, all of me was resisting it. Don't want to do it. Inconvenient, uncomfortable. I'm afraid because I had a bad experience recently, which is true. Um, not out here. It was in Mexico and all these things. And it's like, you know, whatever you're, you're going to do it anyway. You have to do this thing that you quote unquote, don't want to do or don't like to do. And then, you know, after working through that a few times, then I just became, I could feel myself become neutral and it's just sort of like not thinking about it. Don't really care. I'm just doing this thing because this is what I do. Right. And I noticed, I sensed that that was progress. And then I could feel myself want to go and be excited to go. And all of that happened very quickly over the course of a month and a half or so. And, you know, when my, one of my surfing lessons got interrupted because I had to take a meeting in the morning and I was so bummed and I was like, oh my God, how, you know, how soon can I go? How can I rearrange my schedule? And I was laughing at myself. I was like, look how fast this happened. You know, you could not be bothered uh, four weeks ago and now you're psyched, you know? And it's such a, it's such a microcosmic example of so many things in life that we can do. And how good they can be for us. You know, it's, it's the same experience that I have when I take trips alone. It's the same experience of going into, you know, plant medicine ceremonies, ayahuasca, psilocybin, San Pedro, you know, like I psyched to do those. No, I was terrified, you know, 
terrified to move to New York. I mean, these are huge moves, right? It can be going for a walk when you're feeling anxious, right? And I have that experience too. It's like, get up, go outside, take a walk, even though you don't want to. And and it's also, it's also, there's also a, a line, right? We want to be able to, you know, challenge ourselves to do difficult things and push past the, um, the self-imposed limitations, but also to respect our needs and, you know, our health. So sometimes it is better to just stay comfortable. And it's very hard sometimes to know when to push ourselves and when to be comfortable. But if you're never pushing yourself, it's probably not the right decision, right? And if you're always pushing yourself, it's probably not the right move. And somebody who's been really helpful for me in understanding how to respect my needs, which are high comfort, <laughs> um, and also, you know, to when to push into things is my therapist. So if you have the resources, highly recommend therapy. I'll say one more thing on this point, and then I will move into the main topics today. Um, something that I've also learned about myself is that, you know, that that action of my dad challenging us and pushing us into things that we were uncomfortable with. And the fact that I grew up in a big family of boys on a farm, you know, my, and I'm a highly, highly sensitive person. Um, my needs were not often um, recognizable when I was young. You know, it was, you know, if you're uncomfortable or you don't feel good or you're afraid, tough shit. <laughs> you want something? Too bad. There's six other people who also have wants. We move as a group, you know, that kind of thing. And so I've had to learn how to meet my needs now as an adult, tend to that younger person who can be afraid, can be anxious, is highly sensitive, and then balance that side of me that is also very tough and will push myself into a lot of things, right? Um, it's been very fascinating to explore those sides um, simultaneously. So anyway, that's my little surfing philosophy for you today. And on the docket, is what are we talking about today? So we are talking about my take on savory breakfasts, blood sugar stability, and the glucose goddess. If you're not familiar, the glucose goddess is an Instagram, um, is a popular on Instagram author and personality with a lot of tips on how to stabilize your blood sugar. Then I'm going to talk about herbs for pregnancy and postpartum, and then I will give you some book recommendations for herbal dosing and medicine making. I might also, I have some other um, kind of articles and notes pulled up that I might also read through um, for you. Well, I won't read through them, but I have a specifically a, a piece on adaptogens that I think I might share if we have some time. Otherwise, I'll share it in the future. And with that, let's dive in. So the first question is just curious. What do you think about Jesse in Chow Spay? I'm sorry. I don't know how to pronounce Jesse's last name 
or more commonly known as the glucose goddess. Um, she recommends, or they recommend, I'm not sure, uh, savory breakfast for glucose balance. Is it something you encourage? Is it just the same as maybe taking a blood sugar balancing tea or a digestive bitter if diabetes isn't really a concern and you're just interested in keeping blood sugar stable? Um, consistent savory breakfast can be difficult in our household. I love this question. Um, there's so much in here. So let me take it apart. Um, so I am generally a fan of Jesse's information, the glucose goddess. I think that I'm just going to say she, um, is doing a great job of communicating information really simply, uh, her, you know, visual like infographics and, and all of that. It's really neat. Um, I think it's very effective and I think it's a really important topic. If you know me and you've been around here, you know, from the beginning, I've been talking about blood sugar stability, blood sugar balance. It is one of the top health goals we should all aim to maintain. Literally everyone, everyone all the time. There's no reason we want our blood sugar to be unstable ever. So there's that. Um, it is beneficial for so many different things. And I, I mean, I, it's a religion for me. It's just, it's like, it's, it is built into every single food decision that I make every single one. Um, so if you're not hip, you know, or you're not prioritizing it or something like that, um, I would highly recommend considering doing so. So on that point, I'm a big fan of what Jesse's doing. Um, the only, you know, criticism that I would make, and it's not really a criticism, it's just a, again, a consideration, if you will, is that, you know, in the world, in the wellness industry, in the diet and nutrition, you know, space, there are no quick fixes. There are no hacks, right? So apple cider vinegar, which happens to be extremely popular just on its own. It's a, it's a thing. Um, apple cider vinegar shots, you know, before your meals are helpful. Um, are they life-changing? I'm going to say no. Are they the only thing you need to do to balance your blood sugar? Definitely no. Can they counteract a meal that's, you know, poor quality and, you know, and thereby destabilizing? No, they can make it a little bit better, but a lot of other things can do the same and a lot of other things can be more effective. So it's a great topic and ACV, apple cider vinegar is, is cool. Um, but it's really like a, a, a slight benefit, if you will, slight to, to moderate, right? There are just other things that are more powerful and other decisions that are more important to make, honestly. Um, so there's that. Now, the question also asks about savory breakfasts. Um, is it something that you encourage? So I honestly don't care if your breakfast is savory or sweet, if it, if it keeps your blood sugar stable, 
because that's the point, right? We're like having savory breakfasts for glucose balance, right? So if you can have a breakfast that's sweet and it keeps your blood sugar just as stable, doesn't matter to me if it's sweet or savory. Um, savory tends to be easier to keep glucose stable, right? Um, so for that reason, that's, that's good. Um, but I don't care. I really don't care. I almost never, I don't have savory breakfast unless I go to a diner or something. And I love savory breakfast, but I don't. However, my breakfast smoothie is probably the most blood sugar stable thing I have all day. That is because it is very high in fiber primarily. There's also some protein in there that helps to stabilize it, but fiber is way more effective than ACV. It's way more effective than just about anything else. Um, the other thing to be mindful of is, you know, if I say, no, you don't have to have a savory breakfast. If you then have pancakes with syrup on them, that's really, I was going to say terrible. <laughs> it's, it's generally, it's general, it's terrible for, for glucose balance. Let me say that you can have it. Just know, just know what you're getting yourself into. Right. Um, that's based, that's just dessert for breakfast, really. Um, so, you know, so there's a, there's a spectrum of stability, uh, savory or sweet doesn't matter to me. Um, now on the point of, you know, I can hear you like asking what the heck is in your smoothie, <laughs> Uh, in the show notes, I have linked the past episode where I talk more about blood sugar balance. Um, and that includes my travel smoothie recipe. And in that episode, I also mentioned that I wore a glucose monitor, a continuous glucose monitor, which measures your blood sugar 24 hours a day over the course of however long you wear the thing. And I wore it for, I don't know, a month or something like that. I think it was a month. And the most stable thing I ate the entire time was my travel smoothie. And that's because again, it is so high in fiber. Um, so there's that. So in, oh, so in that episode, there's the recipe. So you can have that. Uh, I'm not looking, maybe I'll pull the recipe up because I think on a daily basis, I modify it a tiny bit. Let me look at my smoothie recipe here for you. Oh, I sh I'm sorry. I didn't write it in the show notes. I describe it in the episode. So you have to watch the episode to get it. Uh, basically having memorized my smoothie situations. Um, I think the only thing that's different about my travel smoothie from my daily smoothie that I'm literally looking at right now is that I put um, fruit in my daily smoothie. So I add a banana or today I have like a cup of... Um, wild berries and half of a banana and then everything else is the same. So yeah, even though it's got fruit in it and it's sweet, um, it's super, super stable. So let me know if you have questions about that. Of course, I'm here for you. My smoothie recipe is also something I've shared a lot of times. I don't really gatekeep it. So, um, and, and I've literally been drinking the same smoothie for years. Uh, I just switch up the fruit periodically. I'll switch up the fiber sources periodically, the protein, you know, quantities and sources, but it's the same, same structure template, uh, long, long, long term. And it's fantastic. Okay. So there's that. Now, um, part of the question says, is it just the same as maybe taking a blood sugar balancing tea or a digestive bitters if diabetes isn't really a concern and you're just looking to keep your blood sugar stable? Um, so, uh, maybe, maybe kind of, um, 
here's, here's the thing. So lots of herbs are helpful for blood sugar stability. And I will read through some of those shortly. Um, I'm going to say that they, they can be about as effective as apple cider vinegar. Yeah. Um, if you're using the right herbs at the right quantity, if you just have like a drop or, yeah, so it's a little difficult. So I would say basically, yes, the apple cider vinegar and then the herbs for blood sugar balance can be about the same, but what do I want to say? I want to say that, you know, often, often the herbs need to be used like throughout the day too. Like we can't just do it one, like it's not just one time, right? Um, but blood sugar balance isn't a one-time thing either. So it's a little tricky for me to say, but I'm going to say basically, yes, it's the same. Um, but remember my kind of criticism of ACV, right? Which is like, it's only slightly or moderately effective in, and it needs to be used in conjunction with stable meals. So like if you use digestive bitters and then have pancakes with maple syrup, they're not going to do a damn thing. <laughs> They'll help you die. I mean, look, let me track, let me track that back. They will help you digest, you know, the pancake better. Um, and sure they're going to positively affect your blood sugar, but, but it's like, it's like a, you know, a drop of water into a, um, you know, not a pond, but like a, it's like a drop of water into a, you know, a mug of tea, if you will. <laughs> Try and find a metaphor. It's effective, but it can't compete with a meal like that, right? So we want to, we want both. We want both the digestive bitters or both the blood sugar balancing herbs and stable diet. And obviously, I hope it's obvious by now, if you have to choose one or the other, just eat stable, you know, foods. That's way more important. And then use the herbs together and then you've got a great situation, right? Um, you guys, you guys know this, you know, it's like, I just, for some reason, I just kind of, I see like McDonald's, you know, and it's like herbs versus McDonald's. It's just no competition, you know, but when you pair herbs with, you know, uh, the farmer's market or plant-based diet or something like that, like then you're really singing, you know? All right. I hope that's clear. Um, okay. And so now I want to share a few other things. Okay. So, so net net, you don't have to have consistently savory breakfast, but the more blood sugar stable, your meals, all of them can be the better off your um, health is going to be overall. Um, blood sugar stability tips that I like to recommend quality of food, whole foods, real foods, unprocessed, as plant-based as possible, as high fiber as possible. Um, even whole fruit is way more stable than like a cup of juice or, you know, again, pancakes with maple syrup. I'd rather you ate a fruit, a, pl a plate of fruit, you're going to feel a lot different. And it's fascinating. And it surprised me when I first started doing that. Um, but you can eat, you know, when your when your blood sugar gets into a good place, you know, it's possible to just eat. I ate like an entire papaya I think, each morning in Costa Rica, you know, and I expected my blood sugar to crash. And this was no, you know, it didn't, doesn't. It's a different whole food, whole real food. Um, 
you know, from nature, it, uh, it just, it's just different. Um, quantity can be important. So if you're under eating, then, um, blood sugar will tend to, you know, drop. Um, that said, you know, there are lots of benefits of fasting and, um, depending on if you're exercising, you know, I exercise in a fasted state all the time. Um, and your body then produces it, pushes the blood sugar, pushes sugars into your blood basically so that you have energy to run on, um, fiber. I wrote that in all caps, you know, not messing around with fiber, 30 grams a day minimum. Um, protein is helpful. So if you're, you know, just, just, just know that I'm not, I'm not a big advocate of like supplemental protein, but the reality is that protein, um, makes for a stable meal. Um, so to things like standing and walking as well as exercise, uh, I would, I would venture to bet, I haven't looked at this side by side, but I would venture to bet that eating a meal and then standing, you know, walking around your house or working at a standing desk or something like that. I sometimes will just do the dishes after I eat so that I'm standing up for like five or 10 minutes. Um, I bet that's more effective than a shot of apple cider vinegar. Um, sleep is huge. Sleep is huge. So just under sleeping will mess up blood sugar for the whole rest of the next day. It's really important. I felt this in a big way the other day. I, um, couldn't fall asleep. And then a bunch of stuff started happening in the morning in our house, um, at like 4am. And so I got, I don't know, I was running on like maybe, maybe four or five hours of sleep or something. And, um, I have, a, I, I honestly have a very low tolerance for, um, sleep deprivation as well. My partner probably would have been just fine. <laughs> and I was like weeping, but, um, you know, I woke up and I was just, or I got out of bed eventually at, you know, six or seven or whatever. And I was starving. And normally I don't eat, like I'm looking at the clock right now, it's 11:15 in the morning and I haven't had my smoothie yet. So for me to wake up at like 7 a.m. starving, I'm like, okay, great. I'm going to have to deal with this all day long. My blood sugar is, you know, screwed. And, um, then we had, we went to a thing and I, you know, I had a big breakfast, had my usual breakfast, um, went to the thing and within a couple of hours, like starving again, like I'm going to pass out. I can't, you know, and that just never happens to me, you know, when I'm like, this is such a clear picture of blood sugar instability because of lack of sleep. I was like, you know, I need to eat right this second. Um, norm I mean, look, normally I eat breakfast like around 11 a.m. and then I have lunch at 3.30. We were at this thing at like noon and I was like, I'm going to die. <laughs> so totally just sleep. Um, stress management is also really important for blood sugar stability. So cortisol raises blood sugar by releasing stored glucose and while insulin lowers blood and then insulin lowers blood sugar. So having chronically high cortisol levels can lead to persistently high blood sugar, also called hyperglycemia. Um, we're stressed out mentally, physically, whatever it is, our blood sugar is higher consistently. Um, and then insulin has to go to work. We can then you know, give ourselves insulin resistance. We can get, we can, you know, cause diabetes or, you know, become on path to, to diabetic. Um, so simply being stressed out raises blood sugar levels. So again, 
lowering stress levels, getting a good night's sleep, you know, stuff like that. Is that more effective than ACV? 100%. Would ACV have helped me that day when I was, you know, totally destroyed because of the lack of sleep? Honestly, no, <laughs> it was not a match for that. Um, and so my last note on that is that ACV is great, but it's not a cure-all and it's not more powerful than any of the above. All right. Now let me give you some herbs that I love for blood sugar stability. Where are they? Here they are. Uh, I'm going to go quickly because I go into these in more detail in the other episodes. So if you're interested, you can hop back in and listen to that one. Herbs for insulin resistance and metabolic syndrome include American ginseng, Asian ginseng, otherwise known as Panax, astragalus, which we tend to love for immunity, uh, berberine containing plants. This is a big one, big one. Maybe I'll put that berberine supplement back in the show notes. I shared it a little while ago as, um, you know, quote unquote, they're calling it like nature's ozempic. Um, and it's a great, just berberine supplement from Metagenics. I'll put that in the show notes for you all, uh, bitter melon. So all the bitters you asked it in your question, you're totally right. The more bitter food we eat, the more it can help our metabolism and, um, gut health and blood sugar balance, uh, black seed, uh, blueberry. How do you like that fruit? Blueberry fruit is a low glycemic index fruit that has significant antioxidant and anti-inflammatory activity in a random controlled trial. Obese insulin resistant men and women were given blueberry powder or fresh blueberries, both very significantly enhanced insulin sensitivity. I was just reading a little more there. So add blueberries to your, to your, to your not savory breakfast if you want. Uh, Solomon seal, cinnamon bark. That's one of my favorites. Always drink some cinnamon tea, have a cinnamon latte. Um, I've been using that, you know, way since way before I was a quote unquote herbalist, um, dark chocolate. It's a bitter, uh, eleuthero, otherwise known as Siberian ginseng. Fenugreek is major, major. I'm going to talk about that a little later in the episode. Garlic, green tea, hibiscus, holy basil, my talkie mushroom, prickly pear, so many more. Gymnema, blueberry leaf, supplements. Okay, we'll stop because that's all in the other episode. So uh, hop on over there and then, oh, and then one more note. So that, that episode that I'm linking you to, it was one of our most popular episodes ever. And so I have removed the paywall. This is the only podcast episode that I've removed the paywall on yet. Um, And it is to give all of the free subscribers a little taste of what we're doing here behind the fold. So if you want to share that episode, um, I would love it. It's, it's really just so people can hear, you know, one episode of the show, because otherwise the show has been 100% for you paying subscribers only. So I really appreciate you. Uh, and there's a, you know, there's a little strategy I would like to employ to share bits and pieces so people understand what's happening here. Otherwise it is just a great mystery. Uh, but anyway, if you want to share that one with friends, um, please do.
All right, moving on to the next question, but let me have a sip of water before we do. Was that very loud? Could you hear that? It was loud in my head. <laughs> All right. So the next question is favorite herbs you recommend for pregnancy and postpartum uh, energy in the third trimester herbs to support labor, not induce it herbs to support immediately following labor, healing breast milk. Maybe that's something that can start at the end of the third trimester. Thanks. All right, my friends. So, um, I don't, generally recommend herbs for pregnancy uh, and postpartum during the nursing stage, unless we're working together one-on-one. -on -one. Um, and that is because there's just so much nuance to it. I know, I know any of you who are in this situation are probably frustrated because all the herbalists say, it depends. <laughs> it's a gray area. We can't. Um, but it's really just out of respect for the delicacy of the situation. Um, the preference, you know, of the family, you know, your comfort level with herbs in general, anything else that's going on in your life or your mind or your body, um, all of that really depends. And I've said this before, so I'll say it again briefly, you know, the reason there's so much gray area with herbalism and pregnancy and the time surrounding pregnancy is because there's very minimal scientific research on the safety of herbs during that point of time. And so there's very little definitive information in terms of scientific kind of this is safe, this is not, we have proven it in studies on pregnant people or nursing people. Now, there's lots of traditional use of herbs, which means indigenous people for thousands of years all over the world have been using herbs while pregnant and nursing, but it is an individual decision as to whether or not you want to trust that information with your own body. Some people are like, that's great. I love that. I trust it more than science. And some people are like, I would rather wait for the science. So that is partly why I cannot um, or choose not to uh, recommend, you know, herbs for pregnancy postpartum. That said, I'm, I can, I can reference a few because there are some that, you know, have been studying and studying enough that we can consider them safe. Um, so there's one really good blog post. I also have talked about this in a past episode, so I'm not going to go too, too in depth on it, but in the show notes, there is a link to, um, my episode on pregnancy safe herbs. Aviva Ram, who I'm sure you're familiar with if you are pregnant or have been pregnant or are nursing or have been nursing, um, has a great post about herbs uh, that are safe during pregnancy. And that is linked in the show notes as well. Um, here is the very short list of herbs that are quote unquote known, you know, to be safe during pregnancy um, based on clinical trials on pregnant people. Red raspberry leaf, echinacea, ginger, cranberry, and chamomile. Now, yeah, of course, yes, there are others. But again, it depends on your preference for scientific, you know, kind of 
validation. Um, here are some of the herbs to avoid during pregnancy. Um, the categories of abortifacients, which sound do what they sound like, um, can induce, you know, induce labor or, um, or a quote-unquote abortion, um, amenagogues, uh, stimulating laxatives. So we're talking tansy, safflower, rue, mugwort, yarrow, thuja, scotch broom, angelica, wormwood, pennyroyal in essential oil format, um, high alkaloid plants like comfrey, borage, uh, barberry, colt's foot, golden seal, Oregon grape, noting that a couple of those are high in berberine. Um, so if you're interested in that previous point, you know, that would be an example of, uh, something to avoid actually, um, stimulating laxatives like cascara sagrada, buckthorn, rhubarb, aloes, castor oil. Uh, so there's some of those, right? Those are like, we know they're not safe. Um, and then generally, you know, herbalists tend to recommend the herbs that you are using, you know, their culinary sort of strength. They may be some of the spices in the kitchen and they're had in tea format, not a concentrated tincture or capsule, right? So tea is a gentler extraction process. Things are not as potent. So a lot of times, you know, if we are recommending herbs, um, you know, chamomile, for example, it's chamomile tea. It's not like chamomile tincture five times a day, which if you were not pregnant, I mean, that would probably be fine still, but regardless, you know, if you're not pregnant, um, you know, an herbal, uh, herbalist could be recommending that you take a tincture multiple times per day. There's also, you know, there's alcohol in tinctures. Um, it's a very, very, very small amount, uh, but that's also a consideration, right? So beverage and nutritive teas, um, are known to be safe in moderate amounts, raspberry, spearmint, chamomile, lemon balm, nettles, rose hips, um, some cooking spices. So I sort of answered your question. I sort of didn't because I just can't give specific recommendations, um, broadly, right? And it depends on what you want to treat, what your symptoms are and, you know, all the other things. Um, that said, I've got some more here. I'm not, uh, not quite finished. Um, I'm linking my past episode on pregnancy safe herbs. So I would go ahead and listen to that one if you haven't. And then I wanted to address the part of the question that asked, um, you know, herbs to support immediately following labor, healing and breast milk. So in terms of, you know, during the nursing period, there's a category of herbs called galactagogues, and those are ingredients that promote or increase the flow of a mother's milk. And those are super cool and great and fun and obviously can be used during that period of time. So those include fennel, nettle leaf, shatavari, dandelion root, milk thistle, fenugreek, dandelion leaf, chaste, and holy basil. And the other thing that's nice about some of those, so like milk thistle, dandelion root, and chaste, those are also um, helping with liver health and therefore hormone balance, and then also like directly with hormone balance. So 
that's a one other category of herbs I would consider after the fact because hormones, you know, are going to be fluctuating for quite a while. And so as clear as we can keep the liver and any support we can give to the system can help make that roller coaster, you know, maybe a little less of a roller coaster. Um, and then for other healing, it really depends, right? So some people, it's just like a physical healing process. For some people, it's an emotional process. For some people, it's about sleep. Um, so I would say it really depends, you know, and it's just something that, you know, there are lots of herbs to support all of those things, anti-inflammatories, antispasmodics to help relax tight muscles, uh, liver support for hormone balance, um, whatever else is, is needed based on the symptoms, but just being mindful of, you know, if you're nursing, are those herbs safe and what, um, dose are you using and how much of that is transferring onto, to the little one. So I apologize for not being able to like really, really just recommend, you know, um, some of these things, but it is, uh, that is, that is where we're at. So Oh, and here's, here's my, my greatest recommendation. See if you can find an herbalist, um, or, or anybody who, well, it would be an herbalist, you know, they may be, um, doula or midwife, but who can work with you one-on-one, you know, um, then you can, you can really get in and you can, you can get some more recommendations. So they definitely exist. You know, we just, the herbalist just can't, you just can't, um, recommend it broadly. You know, it's for everyone's it's in everyone's best interest, really. All right, my friends, we have one more question and then we'll wrap up. Uh, so the question is, I have a decent herbal book collection going, but I'd be very interested to hear your go-to books or book recommendations for formulating and dosing. Uh, fun and good for you with your book collection. I wish I could see it. I'm so curious. Um, all right, so dosing will be in a lot of books that medicine making will not necessarily be in. So medicine making is the recipes, right? So dosing, again, yeah, you can find that in like Materia Medica, which is, you know, when you get these sheets of information on herbs and it tells you everything about them, their, you know, their botanical name, where they're native, the parts that are used, how to identify scientific studies on them, you know, all that kind of information should include dosing as well. Things like, you know, I'm looking at my bookshelf, but I recommended like medical herbalism from David Hoffman, you know, last week um, that would include dosing recommendations, but he doesn't have recipes in his book. So they, they're often, they're sometimes separate, not always, but sometimes separate. So in terms of medicine making books, um, look for books with the most recipes. So I have linked in the show notes, um, DIY bitters, which is a fun book. This is from, um, the team that does what are their bitters called? Uh, not traditional medicinals, urban moonshine, I believe. I think I have that right. Um, Guido Mase. I mean, it's just like, these are like classic, um, herbal experts. Uh, and this, this includes uh, how to make your own bitters, which is super fun. Uh, and then I included uh, Rosemary Gladstar's Herbal Recipes for Vibrant Health, 175 teas, tonics, oils, salves, tinctures, and other natural remedies 
for the entire family. So, I mean, that's 175 recipes. Might be the only recipe book you ever need. <laughs> uh, Rosemary has a more than one book, you know, full of recipes too. So she's a great resource. Um, I linked Modern Herbal Dispensatory. I've talked about that many times on the podcast before. One of my faves from one of my teachers. Um, lots of lots of recipes in there, but it's not a full recipe book, right? So if you have a great collection already, you might have this book already. You might want to grab Rosemary Gladstar's or The Bitters. The other thing to know is like some books will be broad, and like Rosemary's is you know oils, tincture, salves, all these different things. And like I know I'm not really into making like salves and balms and like body care and home good stuff. I'm much more interested in like the culinary, botanical, functional consumables. Um, so that book doesn't appeal to me as much as the bitters book, for example. I also have linked to Mountain Rose Herbs where you can get lots of great books based on what you're interested in. So aromatherapy and essential oils, herbal education, Herbal Home and Kitchen, Natural Body Care, or Plant Guides and Gardening. And then, very exciting, debuting here, I have linked to my new list on the Chalkboard Magazine, which just went live last night. Um, the Herbalist Bookshelf for Beginners, Seven Essential Reads, according to Rochelle Robinette. So... Um, many of you, because you are here, you heard it here first, these will not be new to you, but if you want to go over and check out that list, give it some love, share it, um, that's always appreciated. Uh, otherwise, I'm here for you, whatever else you need, but that's a, that's a fun little list of books. I tried not to give you too many, like I just picked a few that were good. All right. I feel like I got sped up there. Did we speed up? <laughs> Anyway, um, everything is in the show notes. Let's see what's over there. So we have my past episode on blood sugar, uh, the past episode that is now free to share with your friends, um, links to kind of tables that list safe and unsafe herbs during pregnancy, uh, my past episode on that topic. Some supplements are linked for you. So fenugreek, Thorns prenatal, a mother's milk tea, two lactation formulas that are herbal. Oh, also my classes, herbalism for fertility and herbalism for hormone balance. I mean, if you like this and you're interested in either of those topics, those classes are extensive. So we'll get lots of goodies there. And then the books, DIY bitters, herbal recipes, modern herbal dispensatory, and my list of the best herbalism books for beginners. As always, I am so appreciative of your being here. Thank you also for the feedback um, on the things you're liking and needing and wanting. That sounds like the podcast is just a hit, which is great. I love it. There's no plans to, uh, to not continue to produce it. So with that, I'm going to sign off. If you have questions about this episode or anything you want to submit for future episodes, just leave them in the comments on the post. Uh, if you enjoyed it, please share it with a friend. Uh, the more the merrier over here. And your support makes this possible. This um, would not be happening without your support. So 
thank you sincerely. I'm so glad we get to do this together. Uh, it's super, super fun. So take good care. I will talk to you in a week. Bye.